Hello and welcome back to the Europolex podcast. Welcome back for another great episode, number 32. I'm still Ewan Healy and with me, of course, is my friend and colleague, Gabriel Hedengren. Gabriel, how are you doing this fine week? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. I'm happy we're sort of almost in spring. And today was a really sunny day where I am. So yeah, I'm in a weirdly positive mood this evening. <laughs> there haven't been, there's not been too much of that, I must admit. Absolutely. Except for when I've been following all the exciting elections we'll be speaking about. Yeah, and there have been some really exciting ones this week. So later on in this episode, you and you're going to be joined by our Netherlands correspondent, Nasruddin Taibi. So he's been covering the Dutch national parliamentary elections for us. And he'll give a full recap and contextualize everything. Obviously, that was the big uh, electoral event this week that everyone I'm sure has been has been following with um, excitement. Yeah, absolutely. And there's one event, though, that I think some people might have missed if you don't follow things so closely, but you definitely should hear about, which I'm very excited you're going to be interviewing uh, someone about, is the regional elections in Germany. You're going to be interviewing Alina Trauschel, um, who is a newly elected MP for the FDP in Baden-Württemberg. And that is very exciting because they are the youngest MP in the new state parliament. So stick around to a little bit later on to hear that, what it feels like to be a 21-year-old member of parliament. Wow. 21. Who's also studying um, full-time business. Um, so I, yeah, I did, I did, I did wonder how she was going <laughs> to survive, but she seemed super, um, super uh, psyched. And obviously I was very happy that she took her uh, time to, to speak to th- this week. Obviously it's her first week after being elected. So we got to pick her brains on, on the electoral success and sort of liberalism in general um, during her um, hectic post polling um, week. Absolutely. And first, before all of that and we hit the news, here's a message from our sponsors. Europolex is, of course, run by volunteers. We aren't funded by big donors. Everything we do, including this podcast, is only possible with the help of our supporters, just like you. And if we want to do more, which we do, we need your support. So we've started sharing exclusive discussions and special content and votes on what we should contain in our coming podcasts, all on our Patreon channel. Access all of it from as little as one euro a month and support the work of Europolex. So don't miss out on all that good content and support us on Patreon. headline story for this week is, of course, the Dutch national parliamentary election. Uh, Prime Minister Mark Rutte looks set to continue dominating Dutch politics after 11 years in power as his Liberal People's Party for Freedom and Democracy, or um, VVD, increased its vote slightly to 22%, which in Dutch politics is loads. Uh, and uh, that means they merge again as the largest party by considerable distance. This result ensures Rutte is almost certain to lead the next coalition government. The biggest surprise on Wednesday night came from Rutte's former coalition partner, the social liberal D66, uh, which finished second place with 15% of the vote. The party had been slowly rising in polls throughout the campaign period, but its result in the election surpassed what many had uh, had expected um, of them. So as these liberal and centrist parties increased their vote, parties of the left and right lost ground, as as you might guess. On the right, uh, Gert Wilder's right-wing Party for Freedom fell to third place with 11%, and the center-right Christian Democratic appeal fell to 10%. On the left, really not a good night for them. 
the left-wing Socialist Party fell to 6%, and Grön Links, so the Green Party, declined even further to 5%, while the center-left Labour Party, which was once one of the major political parties in the Netherlands, continued to stagnate at just under 6%. So the, the biggest left-wing party in the Dutch elections came in with just 6%, which is quite remarkable. The largest overall gains were recorded by National Conservative and Lockdown Skeptic Forum for Democracy. They rose to 5% of the vote, um, not as high as the party might have hoped during its poll surge um, last year, uh, but it still means it's made decent inroads into the fragmented Dutch political system. So on the topic of that uh, fragmentation, this election also saw an increase in the number of parties gaining representation from 13, which is already um, very high to 17 and 17 parties in parliament that's the highest number uh, in more than 100 years in the netherlands this included the first ever national parliament seats won by euro federalist party volt which contests elections um, across the european union we actually had volt's lead candidate uh, lorenz dassen on our last episode so make sure to check that out if you want to know more about uh, this uh, uniquely transnational party and of course stick around as well to listen to um, our colleague nasruddin talk about the election in general and what his analysis is in terms of um, the new coalition government and what that might look like. Yeah, it's a really interesting discussion. So do stick around for that. So in our other electoral news, as we alluded to before, the elections uh, in two German regions of Baden-Württemberg and Rhineland-Palatinate took place, uh, both of which have their own stories to tell. But at the same time as being individual elections, they were also seen as an important test for the new centre-right CDU leader Armin Laschet. Firstly, in Baden-Württemberg, the incumbent largest and governing party, the Greens, saw a surge in support, gaining 11 seats on a 2.3% swing in their favour. Meanwhile, their junior regional coalition partner, the CDU, and the opposition SPD both didn't see any change in seats. Meanwhile, the Liberal FDP gained six seats, while the right-wing AFD lost six seats. While the current Green CDU government has retained its majority under Minister-President Winfried Kirchmann, there has been discussion, however, of a renegotiation, which could see a switch to a traffic-like coalition, which has been favoured in other regions of Liberal and centre-left parties, which would see the green, orange and red of the Greens, FDP and SPD come together to govern. Now, this good night for the Greens and a bad night for the CDU was actually a common theme across in the West in Rhineland-Palatinate, where the parties swapped four seats, the Greens gaining four and the CDU losing four. The incumbent minister-president, Malu Dreher, of the SPD, retained all 39 of her party seats, while Liberal Freie Wähler, or free voters in English, saw their list gain six seats as they crossed the parliamentary threshold of 5%. The SPD-Green-FDP coalition, don't say that too many times fast because you can't, retained their majority in government, though the SPD and the Greens had hoped to be able to govern without the help of the FDP before the election. The three parties together hold 55 seats, which is enough to get them across the 50 seat needed for a majority. Overall, it's been a disappointing week for Armin Laschet, which could decrease the likelihood of him being the Chancellor candidate in November for the CDU-CSU coalition in favour of the CSU's Marcus Söder. On top of this, a scandal relating to two CDU-CSU members of the Bundestag, the National Parliament, profiting from the sale of face masks while in office, a very corona corruption scandal, uh, frustrated Laschet's first few months in the job this week. On top of that, this week was a reminder of how strong the green position is in German politics at the moment. Will we see a CDU-CSU green coalition by the end of 2021? Well, 
We'll have to wait and see, and you should stick around to find out what we think over the next few months. Stay, of course, on the podcast to hear our interview with Baden-Württemberg's youngest MP. So moving on with the headlines, let's go to Slovakia. Uh, so who would have known a year ago that the vaccine war would be the new Cold War in 2021? Um, quite sad, really. I guess some people would actually have, have predicted um, it, uh, more cynical ones out there. The European Union in a standoff with Russia. Who could have <laughs> predicted this could happen? Yeah. So what's happened anyway is that Slovakia's health minister had to resign late last week after the government's decision to purchase the Sputnik vaccine from Russia. Uh, Marek Krajci had to resign after the Freedom and Solidarity Party, uh, or SES, that's affiliated with um, ECR on the European level, and the centre-right pro-EU integration for people party, Zaludi, from the government coalition. They both demanded his resignation over his track record in handling the pandemic. So despite disagreement among the partners in the governing coalition, the government went ahead and signed a deal to acquire 2 million doses of the Russian vaccine. Krajci, a member of Prime Minister Igor Matovich's Ordinary People Movement, um, also known as Olano, uh, that sits in the European People's Party, so it's centre-right, had the support of his boss regarding his actions, but he still had to quit over accusations that uh, the decision compromised the country's Western orientation. The government insists that the purchase will help speed up the rate of vaccination that, as you will all know, is lagging quite a lot across uh, the European Union. But Sputnik is yet to be approved by the European Medicines Agency. So we can definitely expect more of these stories going forward, I think, as as countries around Europe really will start uh, considering whether or not to to enter these deals with, with Russia to speed up uh, the rollout of vaccines. Speaking of Cold Wars, which have nothing to do with vaccines, Spain's capital city has just become the centre of a political fracture between the centre-right People's Party and the liberal Ciudadanos. This has all come after the People's Party's led cabinet in the region of Murcia in Spain was brought down um, together by the centre-left PSOE and the aforementioned Liberal Party. Uh, the president of the community of Madrid, Isabel Díaz Ayuso, retaliated to this event in Murcia, not in Madrid, by kicking her citizens' cabinet partners out of her cabinet, fearing the two parties would act in the same way against her rule. Therefore, the Madrillian government broke down in less than two years after its formation with snap elections being called on the 4th of May. Ayuso claimed her decision was for the good of Madrid and for Spain, even if against her own will to finish out the mandate. Now, her former vice president, the Sigidanus leader uh, and spokesperson Ignacio Aguado, accused the conservative president of imprudence and irresponsibility, stating that she acted on a personal whim. Until recently, the People's Party and Ciudadanos governed together in four of the 17 Spanish regions. The governments of Murcia and Madrid fell, and Castile and León are currently under a motion of censure. These events might prove the assumptions of some of a possible political reconfiguration both on the regional and national level, with the liberals and centre-left strategically moving closer and the centre-right shifting rightward to attract Vox's electorate. Obviously, this comes after several years of the liberals and the centre-right working very closely together and moving to the right. So this could be a real realignment in Spanish politics, obviously one to keep an eye on. Going now from west to east, uh, we have seen another snap election being called. So Armenia will be holding an election in June as Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan is facing a backlash over his decision to accept a ceasefire with Azerbaijan in November, a ceasefire that saw Armenia withdrawing its forces from areas it was occupying around the autonomous region of Nagorno-Karabakh, as well as large parts um, of the region itself. Uh, according to reports, the centrist Pashinyan, who had 
come to power after the anti-corruption 2018 revolution, has said that the election will take place on June 20th. Uh, it still seems unclear who will be taking over as interim prime minister, with calls for Pashinyan to quit growing in recent months. Uh, and even the army uh, has demanded his resignation last month over comments on the quality of Russian-made weaponry. Pashinyan has said that the military's demand effectively amounts to a coup attempt. We will, of course, cover the election and keep you posted on what goes on in Armenia uh, in the lead up um, to the June event. So it's looking very unstable, but it'd be very interesting to see, obviously, how uh, political um, life in Armenia is impacted by this and, and what the outcome is for uh, Pashinyan and, and, and Armenia. Staying outside the European Union, a prosecutor for Turkey's Supreme Court has officially called for the outlawing of the Kurdish People's Democratic Party, the HDP, in Turkey. The prosecutor accused the party of connections to the militant organization PKK, which is considered a terrorist group by the Turkish government. Early on in the same day, the president of the country's parliament announced that HDP MP Omar Farouk Gergelioglu will lose his seat for quote-unquote terrorist propaganda and will be imprisoned. Center-left HDP is the third largest party in Turkey's National Assembly, holding 55 of the 600 seats. Final decisions will, of course, be taken by the Constitutional Court itself, which could rule to dissolve the party or alternatively suspend the state aid to the party. In a statement, HDP said that this amounts to a judicial and political coup and that President Erdogan is attempting to silence the party. The issue has already drawn the attention of the United States, with the US State Department saying in a statement that if HDP were to be dissolved, this would undermine the will of Turkish voters and further undermine democracy. In Brussels, High Representative Joseph Borrell and Enlargement Commissioner Oliver Vahelie said in a joint statement that this move adds to the EU's growing concern about democratic backsliding in Turkey, adding that... As an EU candidate country and a member of the Council of Europe, Turkey urgently needs to respect its core democratic obligations, including respect for democracy, human rights, and the rule of law. Troubling scenes out of Turkey there, um, which we'll all, of course, be keeping a close eye on. Indeed. And speaking of Brussels, the European Parliament has carried out a symbolic but very significant vote to counter homophobia in Poland uh, as an answer to Polish municipalities and local authorities creating so-called LGBT ideology-free zones. The European Parliament has voted to labor the entire European Union an LGBTIQ freedom zone. The resolution was approved last week by a resounding majority of 492 MEPs, 141 MEPs voted against, and 46 abstained. As expected, the major political groups, so the EPP, SND, and Renew, along with the left and the Greens, voted overwhelmingly in favor, with only a few negative votes and abstentions. Uh, however, the majority of ECR and, of course, the ID MEPs voted against or abstained. As should have been expected, the text of the resolution points to Poland directly, noting that over 100 regions, counties and municipalities have issued anti-gay declarations in the last year alone. These moves included not only declaring LGBT-free zones, but also discriminatory measures and uh, decisions um, at the various political levels. Um, according to the resolution, LGBTIQ persons everywhere in the EU should enjoy the freedom to live and publicly show their sexual orientation and gender identity without fear of intolerance, discrimination or persecution. Uh, the Parliament calls on authorities across the European Union to protect and promote equality and fundamental rights for all citizens, including LGBTIQ persons. Uh, so obviously a very important statement. Remains to be seen uh, what effect it will actually have, though, on, uh, on the development in Poland and some other parts of um, the EU as well. 
And now finally, we're going to round up some of the notable polling trends over the last couple of weeks for all of you poll nerds out there. And the first one is something that we've all been expecting for a long time, but it finally happened. An Italian poll by the company Demopolis showed that the right-wing Lega and National Conservative Brothers of Italy, Fratelli d'Italia, in first and second place, respectively, pushing the centre-left Democratic Party, who um, obviously gained a new leader this week, and the five-star movement into third and fourth place, respectively. Brothers of Italy remain in an overall third position in our polling average, but they continue their gradual increase in support. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge one. I mean, if you look back just from, I guess, 10 years ago to think those two parties... Those two kinds of parties being not first and second um, is definitely a big shift. We have served a similar trend in Spain uh, recently with a recent uh, Simple Logica poll showing national conservative Vox usurping the center-right People's Party in second place behind the center-left Spanish Socialist Workers' Party. Uh, again, Vox remains third in our polling average, but it's seen a sharp uptick in support this month. So it's uh, more and more looking like a fight between them and the center-right party in Spain um, for second place. In Czechia, meanwhile, the latest Kantar poll has shown that the Pirate Party has, for the first time, been in first place, with 22% of the vote there, ahead of the governing Liberal Anno 2011. Um, this is the first time, obviously, the Pirate Party have led the polls and is significant ahead of elections coming up soon. And last but not least, uh, Levada Center poll in Russia has given the authoritarian pro-Putin United Russia Party its lowest ever assault, uh, with 38% of the vote. This is part of a general downward trend for the party in recent months that you can see across um, Russia as well. Um, so interesting to see that polls in Russia are, are showing this across the board, that they are decreasing. And you think, uh, with how we all view Putin and, and Russia, you'd, you'd imagine the party, you know, getting sort of 50, 60% in the polls, but they're creeping down below 40. So um, it's like a, a traditional social democratic party 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> in this week's Europolex podcast, Gabriel Hedengren likens Vladimir Putin to a social democrat. <laughs> um, keep that yeah. one in your bingo cards, folks. Um, that is all of our headlines for this week. <laughs> Obviously a lot to talk about and a lot to come still in our two interviews. So stick around to hear from Nasruddin Taibi and Alana Trauschel. Welcome back to the Europolex podcast, where I'm very glad to be joined by our Netherlands correspondent, Nasruddin Taibi. Nasruddin, welcome to the podcast. Hello. It's been a very busy week and a very fascinating election for all us election nerds. This election obviously was preceded by big news in January and the resignation of Makruta as the as the prime minister or moving to an interim basis as a resignation of his government over the um, welfare controversy, which we've talked about in the past. But it does seem to have affected him in the election results. His party increased seats. Yeah. In fact, actually, the whole campaign, almost no one talked about the whole scandal. It was, it, it's as if the government resigned and then everyone just forgot about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting sort of quirk of the system. But we saw the, the sort of centrist liberal parties, VVD and D66, both gain seats, who, along with their other coalition partners, CDA and CU, still uh, retain a governing majority in the lower house. Will they continue? 
that's the big question right now. Yeah, absolutely. And so what, what's your take here? What, what do you think the, the drawbacks and benefits will be for the parties? Well, you have to see it like this. Okay, the BVD has increased and they are going to form government, they're going to lead the government. But this time the dynamics have changed. Normally, the CDA was the second party in the government. Now it's D66. And D66 has gained a lot of strategic votes from the left-wing parties because people thought D66 was the progressive voice, especially with their leader Sigrid Kaag, a woman who could have, well, she had the image of becoming the first female prime minister, so a lot of people from the left voted for her strategically in order to make D66 as big as possible with the goal of making the government more progressive, more to the left. So, of course, D66 is going to try to drag the government to the left, while the VVD is a centre-right party and they would like to have the government more to the right. So that's a point of conflict that could happen between the two largest parties. And then you have the CDA, which has suffered a defeat, a big defeat, and they are needed for the, for the government to continue. And then you have the Christian Union, and then the VVD would like to have the Christian Union with them or some other right-wing party. And then D66 would like to have the Christian Union gone, basically. Now, the challenge here, of course, is also in, they need a majority in the upper house of the national parliament as well. That's not going to be so simple, is it? That's not going to be so simple because the upper house is elected by the provincial legislatures and there are provincial elections in 2023. So for the coming two years, they are stuck with the current upper house in which not only four parties are needed, five parties in total are needed. So even if you were to form a four party coalition, with a majority in the lower house, still you lack a majority in the upper house. So they will still need to work with other opposition parties. Are we going to continue to see that be on a more ad hoc basis or can we expect um, another party to join the coalition? I know some people have mooted the idea of Pevera A, the main centre-left party, um, engaging with the leading coalition as well. Yeah, that's a possibility that we can have a five-party coalition. So VED, D66, CDI, SD kind of motor block, the main part of the go government, and then PVDA, the centre-left, Social Democrats, and the Green Left also, because these two parties have promised to not let each other go. So then they both can enter government and form a five-party government together. But I think that's too uncomfortable for the VVD, because they fear that going with this coalition, then it's going to be too left-wing for them, risking to lose votes to the right-wing parties. Speaking of right-wing parties, another party who really benefited from this election is the party that actually grew the most of any parties, the FVD, who gained six seats on the two that they had last time. Can you just talk to us a little bit about what that's, what's behind that surge? Well, as we posted an article about it on the Europe Alex site, you have to read that. Well, in November, the party collapsed over several anti-Semitism, racism allegations. And then somehow after that collapse, Jerry Boda, the leader of FPD, managed to rebrand the party into an anti-lockdown party. And that's also what you see on the map. You see that FPD performs quite well in regions where, where the coronavirus didn't hit that hard. So it's almost just a protest vote of people who are sick of the lockdown voting for FPD, trying to get the lockdown just to end it. Now, that's a really interesting point, because I think that is the first time in the last 12 months that we've really seen an explicit political success 
off the back of that sort of libertarian anti-lockdown politics. And so it's really interesting to see that manifest for the first time there. Yeah, the motto in the, the slogan in the election was also take your freedom back, as in take it back and end the lockdown. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And some other parties that have done well out of this election are the, the four parties that have gained seats for the first time in the lower house of the Dutch parliament. Now, as we talked about last week, when we had Lawrence Dassens, who is now a, uh, an MP or will be an MP um, for his party, his party gained three seats, that's Volt. Um, but we've also got three other new parties. Could you just talk us through who those three other new parties to the parliament are and what perhaps relevance they bring to the political environment? Mm-hmm. As we just talked about FAD, in November, when they collapsed, a few people left the party, creating a new one called Ja 21, translating to English correct answer 21. And they presented themselves as a moderate right wing voice between the VVD on one side and the FED on the other side. They literally said, We are the only right wing government party that can enter government and prevent the further shift of the VVD to the center. And that's also why they gain votes from the PVV and FED, some of the FED, because they want a government party from the right that also can be in government, since the other two parties have been ruled out. What about uh, BBB, the Agrarian Party? Oh, the BBB. That's kind of a... And also Bayin. These two parties are quite a shocker, actually. People didn't really expect them to enter Parliament. First, with the BBB, uh, before COVID, there was a big debate in the Netherlands about nitrogen pollution. We had to decrease nitrogen pollution that was ordered by the courts. And then the government decided to decrease the amount of livestock. So those measures really hurt the agrarian sector. And then the agrarian sector protested a lot of times. And out of that protest movement, the BBB was founded. And now we see the BBB has won one seat. And they mainly won votes in the rural areas, like in cities like Amsterdam or something, they got 0% of the vote. And then in the east of the country, where all rural people live, they got 8, 7, 8%. And those people who voted for the BBB normally voted for the center-right CDA party, the Christian Democrats. So it's kind of painful for the CDA to lose their core voters to the BBB. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. And and I guess shows how the Dutch sort of single constituency national parliament electoral system allows for rural voices across the country to sort of club together in a way that they wouldn't in a constituency based system. Mm-hmm. And then we have Bayin, the last party that's an anti-racist left-wing party, the most left-wing party. They also entered the uh, parliament, mostly getting votes from the two largest cities in the Netherlands, Amsterdam and Rotterdam. Yeah, let's talk for a moment just to finish up about the left. I mean, obviously, Pivot A used to be one of the, the leading sort of centre-left parties in Europe, in, in, in Western Europe, very influential for a long time in the Netherlands. But obviously, in the last election, they dropped down to as low as 5.7%. And this time, they repeated the same um, election result again. What's going wrong for the Pivotia? A lot of left-wing votes in the Netherlands tend to vote strategically for the largest left-wing parties in order to get the, more, the next government to be more progressive, more left-wing. And... PVDR has lost that position right now. D66 has won that position. It's we will. It's it remains to be seen whether they can keep that position. But PVDR has lost that position, especially for what they've done in the previous government. 
in 2012, or if they go back nine years now, they gained a lot of strategic votes, as normally they would. And then with a promise, we will form a government to stop the VVD. And eventually, after the election, they were forced to enter government with the VVD, leading to a, a loss of credibility, actually. And that's why they are so low right now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really sort of noticeable to see the way that the, the D66 have really hoovered up votes that would have traditionally been with any of the left-wing parties this election. You know, you can see that by the fact that none of the sort of left-wing parties, um, notwithstanding the D66, won a single municipality in the whole of the Netherlands. That's not Green Links, not the Socialist Party, not the PVDD, and not the PVDR. It's pretty impressive to see. Yeah, and that's also the problem with the left in the Netherlands, counting in also D66. There's always been a majority right of center. So the left-wing voters feel it's necessary to vote for the largest center-left party. And time after time, they vote for the largest center-left party, and the, that center-left party enters government with the right-wing party, and then they get disappointed. And that's the issue. That's the challenge for D66 now. Now they will likely enter government again with the VVD and the CDA, and now they will have to try find some balance with, yes, we have to compromise with these two centre-right parties, but on the other side, also keep those left-wing strategic voters with them. I think that's all we've got time for today, but this has been a really, really interesting conversation. And it's been a really interesting election, despite the fact that actually, you know, there's not been too much shifting at the top. Um, and we're looking for a pretty much like a continuity government. I think there's been some really interesting maneuvers and we will look closely at what happens in the Netherlands over the next few years and the impact that has on neighboring countries and the European Union. Nasruddin, thank you for coming on to the podcast. You're welcome. Hi, everyone. If you like this podcast and you want to help us grow, be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on whichever platform you listen to us from. And of course, tell people about us, your friends, your family, everyone. That will mean the world to us. Also, if you have an idea for a segment, thoughts and topics we should be covering, or if you just want to say hi, please shoot us an email at podcast at europelex.eu. everyone. So as we've outlined uh, last weekend, the electorate of Baden-Württemberg, which is Germany's third most popular state, went to the polls to elect new members to its Landtag. Um, that's the parliament uh, in the state. One of the winners of the vote was the liberal FDP, which sits with uh, Rene Europe in the European Parliament. They saw a gain of 2.2%, which resulted in 10.5% overall and a growth of six new seats. So this is a very positive sign for the FDP. It's the best result for them in the state for 15 years, and it confirms a surge in support that we've seen in uh, state-level polls uh, since late last year. With me to discuss um, this result and FDP sort of in general in German politics, uh, I'm very happy to say is Alena Trauschel, who's one of the party's newly elected MPs. And I believe uh, you'll, you're the youngest member to be elected now in, in this election cycle. So welcome to the podcast, Alena. Hello, thank you for the invite. Definitely, always. So, I mean, obviously the election was uh, this past Sunday, so how's your week been so far? It must be um, completely manic and uh, weird as well, because I'm assuming um, it's virtual, most of it. Uh, so there were loads and loads of appointments, and uh, most of them were quite spontaneously, as I'm the youngest uh, ever elected uh, member of parliament here in Baden-Württemberg. 
there are um, quite a few interested journalists. And so I had uh, loads of talks and walks uh, in these times. Um, we had a um, we had a meeting with all the new elected um, members and yeah, <laughs> just tried to organize all these things. Um, it's, it's, it has been a crazy week. There were like all the things over here uh, where I uh, was the candidate where you had to organize like uh, how to clean up and all that stuff. And there was loads of things in Stuttgart. So it has been quite stressful. No, not really uh, much sleep, but that's okay. Yeah, um, oh, it's just very, very exciting. So I guess, uh, as I said, um, obviously it was a very good result for, for your party. So I was just uh, interested to hear sort of top line, uh, thinking about obviously this election specifically in your state. What, what do you think went well for the FDP? Why did you perform um, as well as you did this time around? I think our campaign was uh, really powerful. We tried a new design, which was very bright. <laughs> <laughs> and as well as the, um, as the actual politics uh, regarding the coronavirus is not really uh, this what the people want. So there was a lot of anger and they want to vote for another party as the last time which is not like a radical party. Um, and so there's only the FDP, uh, the Liberal Party, because uh, we're in the opposition, uh, um, even in the, the German Bundestag, as well as here in the state of Baden-Württemberg right now. Uh, that could change now. Um, so I think this was like um, campaign, the anger of the people, and a really, really good work over the last few years of uh, of the people here in the country. Yeah, so just in terms of, because um, obviously most people sort of know if you say it's a liberal party, what, what your main sort of ideology is, but what, 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 are, what are your priorities for the state for the next five years that you've, you've campaigned on sort of beyond the general sentiment that you're describing that's making people attracted to you what what's your platform in just a um in just a minute Oof, um i try to be as short as anyhow possible so first of all for me personally um the craftsmanship is a really important fact uh, in our economy and uh, we have to be uh, more open to these people who want to build up something over there um, that could be like uh, going down with the taxes, um, much less bureaucracy and all these things, as well as our um, politics in the, uh, um, in the educational sector is a catastrophe, you could say. <laughs> uh, we're not good in digitalization right now. Due to the coronavirus, this uh, point uh, made up quite... Uh, hard and so there were loads and loads of points where you could attract people and this is uh, like one of the most concepts that we want more digitalization in the, uh, all the different sectors of our economy and um, so you could say like this as first and then uh, less taxes less bureaucracy and more freedom for the people themselves that they can decide what they want yeah it's a good good summary from what i've been able to see as well 
I guess um, you did touch upon the whole situation with forming um, forming a government. As you've said, um, the FDP has been in opposition. Um, I guess sort of it's been entrenched in this election that the two big parties are the Greens and uh, the Christian Democrats. How do you and the FDP, I guess first in, in your state, but then your view nationally as well, like who do you see as your natural um, sort of coalition partners at this point in German politics? Where do you think you can make alliances? And uh, is your goal now, do you think, to be part of a ruling coalitions? Or are you sort of preparing yourself to spend the next five years in, um, in opposition to? It would just be interesting to hear your thoughts. So we're currently thinking and talking with uh, the Green Party and the Social Democrats about uh, a coalition. Um, but this is like the first steps, like um, trying like, how is your point of view? How is my point of view? Uh, could there be like a base uh, for, further, um, for further talks? And I think it would be a quite interesting option, uh, but you have to uh, take, in, uh, take in memory over there that the Green Party over here in Baden-Württemberg is really conservative compared to the Green Party on the national level. Interesting, yeah. So I don't, I don't know if uh, the Green Party on the national level could um, think about a coalition with the FDP. So this is quite interesting thing over here. Um, and it could be as well uh, that the Green Party and the uh, Conservatives, the CDU, uh, are going in the next round uh, together. Um, we will see how this uh, is going on. We are open. And the most important thing for us is really to set our points to see that uh, the the whole country can move forward. And uh, so this is my, like the most important for us. So the contents and not only uh, to be in any position or anything like this. And so I don't know how, uh, <laughs> how it's going uh, right now in the moment. Um, and I don't know how it's uh, moving on for the next uh, election campaign then in the uh, national uh, national elections in September. Yeah, so thinking ahead then to, to the national elections, so obviously you'll be going from this now and all the election campaigns in Europe aren't as uh, lengthy and massive as in, as in the US and, or some parts of the world. You will soon be entering uh, into another whole campaign. Uh, even though obviously you're on the on the state level, just out of interest, uh, how does the FDP in your state differ from FDP nationally? Are you more or less aligned in policy, or would you say you're a bit more liberal? Or is there how much discrepancy is there between the federal level FDP and um, FDP at state level? In the federal FDP, um, I think the Baden-Württemberg FDP is more conservative especially compared to like the FDP in Hamburg or in Niedersachsen, like in other uh, uh, states there. Um, but I think when it all comes together, we uh, try to be as open as anyhow possible. Um, and I, it, as in Germany, we don't, we don't have like two liberal parties or three liberal parties. 
which have a big impact like uh, compared to the Netherlands. Um, so this is the only choice if you want to be in a liberal party in Germany and have some influence um, in the parliament, you got to go to the FDP. Um, otherwise, it's uh, it's quite difficult uh, to be um, to be political active uh, in a liberal party. So they are like really really small parties, but they are not have uh, the real impact on the political decisions uh, that have been made. Yeah, so what do you think? So obviously you've done um, well now in these elections and your result is, you know, a bit above what we're seeing in national polling for FDP. We saw um, in the other state elections on Sunday in um, Rhineland, uh, Palatinate or Rhineland-Falz, the FDP went back a bit. So I was just trying to think, what do you think that FDP on a federal level might be able to learn from your campaign that's now been so successful. Do you think there are any lessons to, to take into the next um, six months or so? Yeah, definitely. So if you compare like uh, the results in the different uh, in the different cities and regions, uh, you can see that in like the bigger cities, there is not such a good FDP result as in the more landside uh, regions. And I think we have to take that in consideration for our whole campaign, how we could uh, reach the people in the city. Because I don't think that in the city, the people are not liberal. But I think sometimes we have like a problem in our communication, for example, uh, to set our points. And if we can get this <laughs> to a, a good end that we can communicate our points uh, and show what liberalism means, what it takes to uh, vote for a liberal party and uh, what we want to do then. I think if we can get this, uh, the, uh, um, the results on the federal level will rise as well. Great. And, and finally, I just thought we obviously had uh, a major election yesterday in the Netherlands that you briefly referred to the Netherlands. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Obviously, the the Liberal parties there performed really well. And I guess there's um, there's a sense overall that after, uh, I guess, nearly half a decade of, of the main narrative being, you know, the nationalism being sort of the trend and on the rise, there is a sense that there's now more of an appetite for, for centrism, whether that's, you know, liberal or a bit centre-left or a bit centre-right. Um, so I just thought, do you have any analysis of, of last night's events? and? your sister parties in in the Netherlands? So the VVD uh, won the election and they are more in the right-wing liberalism uh, compared to the D66, which are more like uh, left, uh, left liberal. And um, But I'm really, really happy that um, we did such good, uh, that we have such good results in the Netherlands, um, that there are so many people voting for liberal parties because uh, that shows that liberalism is something that people want, that it's good. And so I think that could have a big impact as well for Germany, as well as uh, the whole European Union. And I don't know if the centralism, like <laughs> it, uh, it's uh, going on, for example, in France, uh, compared to Germany with a big federalistic system, uh, I think there is on both sides a good point, a bad point. 
for me personally, I like the system of being uh, of uh, splitting up power. Um, but maybe this is like as well as a historic uh, made decision. And I think for Germany, it is good that we have many people who are deciding about what happens in our country and that it's not only like in one city all <laughs> put together. Great. Thank you so much for, for speaking to us. I believe our time is up. And once again, congratulations on, on being elected. And uh, I'm assuming that at some point you'll have a bit less of these interviews and time to focus on the important work you've been, you've been chosen um, to do. So I hope all that goes well. Thank you very much. And thank you for the invite once again. Thank you for listening to the EuropeLex podcast. To stay up to date with European politics, make sure you subscribe and of course follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. You can find us at EuropeLex.eu and at EuropeLex across all social media and at Europe underscore Lex on Instagram. See you next time. You've been listening to the EuropeLex podcast hosted by Ewan Healy and Gabriel Hedengren. The managing editor was Polychronus Karimpoulos. The producer and audio engineers were Rafael Peñorios and Leon Lisener. The script was written by our hosts and our writing team, Matthew Nicholson, Yorgos Kakouris, and Guillermo Ferreira de Senda. The music was by Jose Alvarado, and everything we do couldn't be possible without our fantastic supporters on Patreon. I mean, my name is Gabriel Hiadengren, so...